Welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mix Bell Morrigan. And once again, we are continuing the deep dive into this series topic, Why Horror? But it's going to be a little bit of a twist this week. As we focus on the topic of Why Horror, we're also going to have a bit of an in-depth jumping into the fantastic film, Breathing Happy, as I get to discuss to the writer, editor, director and star Shane Brady and Emily, his partner in crime, who helped bring this film into the world. So, yeah, um, if you can just introduce yourselves and introduce the film. Of course. Well, my name is Emily Zercher and I am the producer of Breathing Happy. And I am Shane Brady. All of those words <laughs> that you said earlier uh, and I... Yeah, I helped make Breathing Happy come to life with zero sanity and Emily applied sanity and logic and structure to all of that. We also cried a lot ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. Like, we get it. We get it. Yeah, um, that's very understandable. And for those who are listening who may not have been there, Breathing Happy was one of the films that had a screening at the Soho Horror Film Festival and the fact that a film can bring an entire theater room of diehard horror fans to tears is an impressive feat so I'm already like applauding both both of you and your entire collaborative team for that but before we jump into our full discussion it's tomorrow the 12th of or the 13th of December that uh, your film gets distribution in North America if you want to just talk a little bit about that absolutely so we are going to be streaming on Fandor so everyone in North America please go to Fandor to subscribe to that if you don't know what Fandor is it's a platform for all of the kick-ass indie punk rock movies out there that were made just like Breathing Happy. You know what I mean? All the people that called in favors and stitched together their little movie to make it happen. Um, It will also be available on Amazon Prime and Vudu. Uh, It might be a couple other platforms that I know of, but Mm -hmm. steer steer your car to Fandor first. Uh, And yeah, we we could not be more excited. Uh, Personally, one of my friends that I've known for a decade, Aaron Hillis, now works at Fandor and him and my other friend, David Lawson, who's a producer through Rustic Films. They helped merge this friendly little deal all together. So uh, it it makes my heart happy that the movie is being steered at Fandor by one of my buddies who will will do it correctly. Amazing. Thank you. That sounds really interesting and very exciting. And yes, um, as someone who is not in North America, I am hoping it is very soon that we eventually do get the international distribution because that is the one thing as 
like before we go into the full discussion but just as a movie fan who exists outside of North America it's so weird the way distribution works like some films go out everywhere at the same time other films it depends on who picks it up and I'm just wondering as filmmakers and producers what's that kind of journey like like getting a film where you you know want it to go I, this might be like an oversimplification of a metaphor, but I guess it's kind of like having a baby. You know, everyone. No, I'm serious. Everyone's babysit like, the child. Babysit the child. Every every step of well, what do I do next? Usually involves a phone call to either David Lawson or Justin Benson or Aaron Moorhead, where mm-hmm. I go, "Hey guys, what's going on?" And I'll like talk about life for ninety seconds. The baby's like, vomiting again. Yeah, yeah. What do we so, do? So hey. <laughs> how do you do closed captioning the most efficient way again? <laughs> like, so yeah, when it, when it came to distribution, um, we, we secured it when uh, we played at the Chattanooga film festival. And nice. uh, then from there, you know, going to London was a big part of us trying to secure international distribution. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, and this is not how my brain works. I fall victim to like, accomplishing everything to 70% and then forgetting and moving on to the next thing and accomplish. So, and I like to finish everything with the pretty little bow and yeah. then move on. And so it's a lot of back and forth. <laughs> yeah. But distribution is helping me to be like, no, 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 you got to finish this thing. Now it's done. Now move on to that thing. Okay. Nice. Interesting. It's nice to get an insight into things and for when you don't know how that stuff works, but yeah, no, thank you. And, that's exciting and I wish you all the luck in getting that journey fulfilled and getting the nicest bow put on it (laughs) I definitely wish you the luck on that um but one of the first questions that I kind of like tweaked a little bit that I kind of have here I was just wondering um for yourself like when you set out to make this film like did you have like kind of a set idea of like this is the genre the film's going to fall in or was it kind of you just want to allow the film to be its own thing and that question is kind of stemming from one of my why horror ones which I'd also you know what your own take on it but just both as a fan and a filmmaker like do you have personal criteria for what you consider is horror and what isn't or is it all just wishy-washy, wibbly-wobbly, fun stuff. (laughs) Sure, sure. So, also, when I answer questions, I answer them way too roundabout. So if I start, like... Just like the film. Yeah, just like the movie. (laughs) So if I start, like, chasing this cloud and you got to reel me back in, Emily does a good job of, no, no, Shane, come over here. I try not not to go on podcasts because then I just look like, or sound like, an absolute bitch. Yeah. (laughs) It's okay. Rest assured, she I, is. You can see the side eye that is yeah. given, and that might still be felt through uh, through the sound of a podcast. We shall see. For sure. Okay. Time will tell. So, growing up in Florida, sadly, the intimacy that I personally have had observing people addicted to insert drug here because there's way too many. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like rampant and. I found while making this movie and releasing it that it's not like a Florida intimate movie. It's, it's almost like a epidemic. Like so many people are affected by drug addiction um, or addiction in general. So I, I like to say with clarity that I have personally never done any heavy drugs. However, I have been 
on the receiving end of way too many friends and family members, extended family members who have gone through it. And the ideation of this movie is I've been lucky enough to be an actor in a lot of horror movies. Mm -hmm. And my, I guess my personal barometer as to whether or not I am going to enjoy a movie or not is if I feel something Mm -hmm. right like that that is the absolute main thing is i want to feel something that's why i watch elf every christmas because i cry like a blubbering baby same thing with emily like everything stops the last 20 minutes when they're like let's sing christmas and like like i just cry it's it makes me feel something so setting out with this movie i asked myself could i articulate the fear that family members feel when a loved one is going through addiction and struggle. And then could I attempt to do like a Christopher Nolan ending where like, you know how in inception you're like, wait, is he dreaming or not dreaming? Mm -hmm. I, I tried my absolute best to create an ending to this film where it's like, wait a minute and I don't want to give it away for people who haven't mm -hmm. seen it, but like, did, did this person succeed in a rebirth or quote unquote, not succeed into a relapse? So that was kind of the ideation of it. And then making the movie, it changed a billion times, like from what is in the script to filming to editing. Um, I was lucky enough to have a wealth of friends who have been in Hollywood where I could show them scenes or cuts or mm -hmm. whatever. And you would kind of make it and then step back. And take a look at it and then keep going and keep going and keep going. And it took the better part of a year to get it to where it was like, ah, there it is. <laughs> we found it. We found it. We got it. And then you just wish and hope and pray and cross your fingers that people enjoy it. And luckily they are. So. No, I like that. And I, I like how you did kind of talk about how you allowed it to kind of go on its journey. You allowed it to kind of tell its story to yourself. You have the idea, but sometimes, you know, if you focus too much on an idea, it overwhelms it. So I like how you kind of just wanted it to allow it to breathe on its own, which is nice. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Breathe happy. <laughs> but, breathe exactly. happy. Good <laughs> but yeah, 100%. I, I was planning on getting that in there somewhere at some point. But thank, yes. it's already, we already started off early. Good. Um, <laughs> but no, I really like what you touched on there about the kind of ambiguous ending. Because that was one of the things that kind of really for this film itself that jumped out to me was the ambiguity and also just like I really enjoyed how you kind of made it feel almost like timeless in a way with its narrative and mm -hmm. oh there's adorable puppiness and I'm just yep there's adorable puppy okay yeah, <laughs> listeners I am I am holding a four-month-old puppy to <sighs> because because it just wants he's love huge. It's, yeah. he's huge. huge he's already like 30 pounds but it also stops him from barking during the podcast so Yes. Listeners, just imagine a <laughs> Irish doodle, golden haired angel licking the microphone. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. This this just makes podcasting the best. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Um but no, I really enjoyed the how you made the kind of narrative feel like timeless and that kind of led to the ambiguity of it. And that was kind of like one of the questions I had as well. And I guess you kind of like, um, in a way, because you said you were going for that kind of ambiguous Christopher Nolan-esque ending. But mm -hmm. when it came with so many of the scenes where it was showing what Dylan was going through with his family of how the repetitiveness of basically the same thing happening each time, like hitting that wall with the family. And I want to know like, 
was that something that you intentionally set out to do to kind of like show it as being this instead of it being like a this happens this happens this happens it was all just kind of blended into this one moment in a way I want to know what your what, what your intention was that because I, I thought it was pulled off really well thank you um for sure so there there is a thing with addicts where and I think anyone who's gone through this would agree where you're like why do you keep doing the bad thing that causes bad repercussions just stop just do just why don't you just try doing the correct thing for a while you know and you could define the correct thing as putting down the bottle or the drugs and going to work and like if you could just be a functioning member of society you know in parentheses then maybe some good things will start happening. And I thought to myself, I'm going to use the word funny, not like funny haha, but mm-hmm. I thought to myself, well, what if in the movie, Dylan was the recipient of all of the things that he had been doling out over the course of two decades, mm-hmm. where everyone else was frustrated with him that he kept doing the same thing over and over and getting no answers. So what if there was this talking door and soothing yoga app and mystery door and all of these things that just no matter what Dylan tried to do, he could not get the answer the Mm -hmm. same way that no matter what all these family members tried to do, they could not get him to find sobriety. So I thought, could, could I articulate that in a funny, interesting, weird, clever way? Yeah, no, I really like that. And yeah, I just, for anyone who does, seek out this film which you must because it is glorious but just the doors the that entire sequence of like the two doors of is it's is it benson or moorhead who's the golden door so aaron aaron moorhead is the golden door aaron's door aaron doorhead um (laughs) justin is the soothing yoga voice and then his beautiful stunning fiance sarah bolger is the mystery door and something something listeners should know is when we were filming it, Emily Zercher was all of those voices. Yes. <laughs> so so as as I'm delivering my lines, it would be Emily just being like, Golden Door says this sort of thing. Mystery Door says this thing. Uh, you know, soothing yoga voice says this yeah, thing. Yeah, I hated my own voice by the end of that. Yeah. But- Especially um, you, you get, try to get creative, and you're like, "No, I'm the mystery door. No, I'm the golden door." Like, <laughs> so I won't, I won't play it. But there is a Emily attempting to do an Irish accent at four in the morning, a couple of the nights that we were filming, just because delirium is setting in, and they're like, "Make it fun. Come on, do, do your best do Sarah Bolger impression." Just sounds like Lucky Charms. <laughs> Not the best. But yeah, no, I can actually. I loved that as well. Just the mystery door was Sarah Boulder. Like, and as someone who is from Ireland and Irish, I liked hearing an Irish accent doing that voice. So I was like, oh, this is just an extra like cherry on top of an already wonderful film. <laughs> it was just because <laughs> uh, there was just so much in it that jumped out at me. And as he said, I think it's one of those stories that is relatable to so many different people. Like, I think, as you said, like both yourself, you had that intimate like history of being you know on the I guess quote-unquote receiving end of people who are going through addiction and I think everyone across the world has some element of that and I think it will will is a really relatable story that makes you feel things and I think that's a really good thing and and that's what you were saying as well when you go into films you want to seek something that 
is going to make you feel and that leads into one of my other questions which I kind of had and where it's stemming on from it but something I see a lot when it comes to like say the horror community online and stuff like that is you'll see this comment thrown around a lot where it's like oh you know insert film name wasn't a good film because I wasn't scared and like I want to know for yourself like you know when it comes to like horror films specifically like do you think a horror film needs to be scary to be quote quote considered good but also like with breathing happy like I love how it does deal with so many human fears and horrors of human existence but in a not very traditional way and I really enjoyed that aspect of it so I just want to know what you think about that attitude do you think a film has to be scary to be good when it comes to horror why don't you answer that first Emily because I want to okay. think on that for a second um so I think when it comes to horror first of all I love horror so I grew up watching all of the Chainsaw Massacres like Shane laughs at me because if I'm in a bad mood, he's like, do you want to put on fresh and watch some cannibalism? Would that make you happy? And it's like, yeah, yeah, the cannibalism would make me happy. <laughs> like, or like murder documentaries. Or, you know, yeah. all the things. So I don't think a, a, like fresh is a horror and it's not scary. It's a scary concept. Mm-hmm. I didn't I wouldn't want that to happen to me, but I'm not hiding behind my hands, plugging my ears kind of scary. Um, So I don't think films have to be terrifying in order to be a good horror film what i like in films is something different when it comes Mm. to horror because i i do love the cheesy like teen horrors those are amazing but those are fun those are funny they're not scary Mm -hmm. but those are still great um I'm going on now. I'm going over. No, no, no. So, like, remember but... we were watching Hellraiser. Yes, and that was that was scary. Terrifying. Like David's David's new Hellraiser. Yeah, like everything. I would define that as scary. Horror. Like, if I was a child watching that, I would think of the throat girl <laughs> monster, you know, or like the Leviathan configuration tearing me up in the middle of the night. Um, but then you look at you know, like the the latest Halloween movie that came out. Like, is anyone watching the latest Halloween because it's scary? No, they're watching it because they know there's going to be 17 pop scares Mm -hmm. and you want to bring a date to the theater and throw your arm around this person and, and enjoy the wild ride, you know? So there's, for me, when it comes to horror, there's, there's so many sub genres of it that, like my favorite horror movie of all time is Cabin in the Woods. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Oh, but it was yeah, it the, the <laughs> yes. most fun. Dude, I saw that movie in theaters when it came out on accident. Like mm. I just went with my roommate in in Hollywood at the time, Scott Williamson, and uh, we went to see it. And we didn't know like the awesome twists that came with Cabin in the Woods, and we had the most fun, and it was the wildest ride. Because it's, uh, you know what? Maybe a roller coaster yeah, is a good, like way. a good way. You know how like mm-hmm. roller coasters are scary. You know you're not going to die, but you like are going to enjoy the <laughs> thrill yeah, of it. Or you might. Um, <laughs> At a carnival in the Midwest. Yeah. I, if I were to answer like the Shane answer, I want my horror movies to be like a roller coaster. But that's not to say I'm not going to love the hell out of Hellraiser and be genuinely frightened as I watch it. 
Yeah, no, I like that. And I think actually kind of like jumping back to something you were saying earlier again about how, you know, you want a film to make you feel something like um, the author, uh, Joe Hill, um, who's also Joe Hillstrom King, Stephen King's son, for those who do not know. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that he says a lot is that, you know, horror, like the root of horror, the foundation of horror isn't driven by trying to cause fear. It's uh, trying to promote and cause empathy as in it wants to make you feel something so that's like you know for me like when it comes to like watching horror and like I'm you know very much someone who's like (laughs) everything can be considered horror in my eyes like you know I'm like just I can find a way to classify something as horror because it's just like I've watched so many movies and I'm like no horror is my favorite genre this is clearly horror um but like for me like I want to come out of like away from a horror film, like having been, you know, having felt something, whether that is fear, whether that is happiness, laugh, whatever it is, I felt emotions on that character's journey. Like to me, like the biggest letdown of like um, a film, like regardless of genre, but I, th- I guess particularly horror is when like you come out of it and you haven't felt anything, you know, you're mm-hmm. kind of just like, all you're thinking of is like, where it could have went and it's like mm-hmm. you know and but then at the end of the day like you know especially talking to like you know yourselves like as indie filmmakers I know ne- I'm one of those people who's just like I never want to like talk bad on films either because I know how fucking hard it is for films to get made so I'm just like hey even if the film didn't work for me it exists and if it works for someone else that is fantastic and that's what I tried yeah what I wish more people approached it with <laughs> And then and then you can get into the very slippery slope of like there are times that Emily and I will be watching a movie and there will be something let's just define it as odd like 40 minutes into the movie there's like two odd scenes that are very formulaic and I'll mm. turn to Emily and go some producer won an argument but and so that and that is why that no scene sense. exists it makes no sense to the narrative or like mm they were running out of money and they really needed to have a scene in McDonald's or drive the BMW to safety or drink Corona's on the beach <laughs> and talk about how delicious they were or something. You know mm. what I mean? Um, you can always tell what's forced. Yeah. You can always tell what's forced. And um, I won't, I won't say names, but I do know that I have many filmmaker friends who will go on to do much bigger projects and mm. at the end of that project, they'll say, I loved it. It was great. Everyone was wonderful. They were so supportive. The cast was awesome. I made money. It was wonderful. But I basically just had to do what everybody else said. And I really mm. want to go back to making my little indie movies where I'm in control and I don't have to answer to the algorithm or does mm. this line translate? That's the other thing that's so annoying with nowadays is everything is algorithm based like well we did a study and our peer study suggests that if this monster is purple versus green then it's gonna <laughs> it's like wait could what? you imagine me trying to pitch my damn movie to a studio or an algorithm be like no guys really just believe me that this golden door scene will work and it'll be funny it'll work and they just be like no get out of here yeah because we're in the days of quote unquote content and it's yeah it's just creativity and joy is being killed by the day which is why when films like this come around and just breathe again a a breath of fresh air into just 
the world it's such a joy to and that's why these films like this should be celebrated and that's why i wanted to have you on here and because any film that makes me cry is a film that i'm going to recommend to people just so i can be like um one the film is brilliant and deserves to be celebrated but also i also want this person to feel my pain so that it's not just me crying on my own um but actually yeah go ahead jump in if if I can ask a and, and this might be a personal question, but I'm really enjoying asking this question of people who have seen the film. Was there a specific moment or scene or what have you that like reached out and you personally went, "Oh, this is why I feel emotional right now," or "This is why I was crying." I'm I'm curious. Mm, okay, let me think on that. Um. There was a lot of scenes that definitely hit, like, you know, in different ways. And I think for me, definitely like one or two of the scenes of like connecting, say, when they're like remembering the father. Mm-hmm. And even particularly like towards the end, there's a particular scene where it's like a camera gets turned and there's a really touching, really beautiful touching moment that's kind of like closes out the or not closes out the full film, but closes out a certain arc of the film. And it's just so heartwarming and touching and beautiful. And I think it was just that particular scene really hit home for me because like just at you know over the last number of months you know there's been just at home lots of kind of stressors between the family and my own dad just again lots of mental health problems and it's just tough so kind of seeing that kind of touching happy moment of like you know before the bad times type moment was Mm. like re just was like a warm blanket and it was just like yeah I get that I get why you want to return to that moment I was like yeah it was just wrapped me in a warm embrace and I was just like I want that nice fatherly hug right now (laughs) Um, yeah that's definitely the one that stands out right now but knowing me there was probably just one or two moments which I found a way to relate to my own gender struggles too so it's just like the entire film though there's just so many beautiful moments and I again I really love how you punctuate it with humor throughout and it's it Oh, I'm just you, like, you have to have it. You have to have Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, what kind of roller coaster is that? <laughs> just the really sad everybody and their feelings yeah. throwing up, they're crying so hard roller coaster. So here here's something <laughs> that um do you do you write? Do, yeah. Uh, so you know how on the new final draft, do you know how they have like that beat board and how you can color coordinate scenes? Are you familiar with that? You should do a deep dive because okay. this is okay. So for all, all of you filmmakers trying to make things out there, um, there's actually a map that I created in the script. And then I had to kind of make a new one in the edit mm. where if it's, we'll just use the simplest emotions. If it's sad for three minutes, I make sure that we go to happy for two minutes and then we go to weird for three. Like mm. it, it was important to me to keep you guessing and there's like formula and then I kind of hit the formula even harder. And then it's just mayhem in the third act and then hit them with the ultimate, you know, but nice. that it, it helps to pace it out that way. That way it's not, oh, well, the first 30 minutes were really funny. And then the last 30 minutes mm-hmm. were this. 
Nice. And actually, I like how you you talked about the keep you guessing and stuff like that, because that actually links to another one of the you know questions that I have, like specifically about the film. But how like, important was it to you to kind of like have Dylan as the character be a character that does magic and like to have magic as something that is throughout the film? Because I know you yourself are a trained magician. So yes. like, how important was it for to have that in the character in the film for you? It it was important in respect to I've never seen a movie try to articulate furthering the story mm. through the use of magic. Um, it <laughs> as as a you know magician and all of my magician friends, I think anybody who really knows a lot about magic will see those scenes and be like, eh, he tried, <laughs> you know, like honestly because. We filmed like the opening of the movie was like a five minute version of the three magic tricks you see me do in that uh, black tent mm. world. And it was not working. So then we tried filming it again. And then that wasn't working. So then in my director of photography's front yard, Evan Zisimopoulos in North Hollywood, the one day it decided to be. 34 degrees Fahrenheit outside, which is basically freezing. And it started misting, which meant the cards were wilting. <laughs> and the adorable little girl, Mia, who plays the younger girl, um, <clears throat> she, Brianna, she's like outside in the dark and her mom and the two other little kids are there. And then the camera starts breaking. There's a whole behind the scenes thing of like, Guys, this was supposed to be like a one hour pickup shot, and this movie is literally trying to kill us. <laughs> like, should magic just not piece. be in the damn movie? Like, is this God saying, like, don't do it, Shane? <laughs> don't put magic in your movie. Um, so I'm glad it ultimately works in the end. But uh, I, I guess the reason I did is because I've never seen it before mm-hmm. and I knew how to do it. And it was also simpler to film during COVID in theory because i was like okay i can control my brain and fingers and cards and we just need like a black empty world and a mm-hmm. table you know it's very easy to film rather than all right let's do the same scene we all have observed in hallmark movies where a family has that argument and that normal struggle like it, it was important to me to make sure that nothing was what we have seen before mm-hmm. beyond the first nine minutes of the movie. I kind of purposefully wanted the first nine minutes to be like, all right, son of a bitch. We've seen this movie a million times <laughs> as a magic trick misdirection. Like you establish the premise and then you punch them in the face 40 times. <laughs> the other thing about the whole magic is it is a metaphor because when you're on the other side and you're having the magic performed for you, you are always trying so hard to see Okay, what are they doing? Okay, I'm going to trick them this time. And that's the scene with young Lily and older Dylan when he's he's basically Mm -hmm. doing the magic trick and is like, no matter what you do, I'm going to force this upon you. So that's kind of how an addict feels or people that have mental health issues feel is no matter what I do, I can't control my environment, my situation, and I'm trying so hard to fix it. And I feel like I'm just being tricked by the universe. Mm -hmm. And so that was another metaphorical way to explain that because um, we've discussed this before, but Shane, when I first met him, had no empathy towards addiction. And I was only empathy, um, only because my dad was an addictions counselor. So Mm -hmm. I grew up 
seeing what it's like and understanding everything. But if you're the on the receiving end and you have everybody around you is a monster because they're an addict, well, yeah, you're going to hate the monster. So it's a way to human, uh, to make... No, like humanize it. Yeah, yeah, humanize an issue that people like to blame people for, but it's really not their fault. And the same with mental health and everything else. So hopefully it humanizes the fact that these people don't have control over these things, just like you would as a recipient of magic. You are going to get forced to pick the card. Yep, but then you (laughs) do have control, which, it's okay, so this is the slippery slope, but also the wonderfully complex thing about addiction, Mm -hmm. is it was important to me, selfishly, to tell the story from all angles. So Mm -hmm. if you really dissect the characters, the mother... Who played by June Carroll is only love and empathy, like kindness incarnate. I'm gonna save my baby boy, and no one is gonna tell me otherwise. Mm-hmm. And Augie Duke, who plays the redhead, um, Lily, she's like the peer, like the equal, somebody mm-hmm. who has also struggled with addiction, but is on the other end and can kind of help guide. Caitlin Nacon, who plays my sponsor Tristan, kind of same thing. Like you need the sponsor, and then Brianna really is mean like mm. only anger only like the the line that brianna says in the movie which is oh shut up it's not a disease yeah he just has shitty self-control it's the only disease in the world that if you stop doing the thing you are cured like wouldn't people with cystic fibrosis love to just wake up one morning and go oh i i don't want this anymore so i'm gonna stop and mm-hmm. then they're cured you know, yeah. it is that thing of, and this is therapy and doctors talking. Yes, addiction is a disease, dot, dot, dot. But it is also something that can be cured with self-control, which is a vast oversimplification. However, it's also true. Thus, yeah. you have conflict and a good story and something that everybody can get behind. And it was important for me to make sure that there were all viewpoints because I don't want people to just feel bad for Dylan. I want people to feel something real with Dylan. Yeah, you know? exactly. No. And I love that. And I, that was like definitely something that left from the screen that you had each character. Like they did, they were like those, you know, as you said, they fulfilled those different roles. And I loved how you did have those different viewpoints in it. Cause it, yeah, it made it more real. And like, that's actually one of my, like kind of coming, like coming back to, it was something you were kind of touching on earlier as when you're what you know you you were saying you can watch some films and you can tell when something was like a producer's note or stuff like that Mm -hmm. watching this film every character just felt like a real person which I think you know is the one thing that like I would imagine as someone who doesn't make films and only watches them but I'd imagine that that's like maybe always like the, I guess the intent as a filmmaker is to for someone to be watching the film and feel like they're watching people rather than characterizations or stuff like that like they all just felt like real genuine people like the the dialogue just felt real like it didn't like it felt like this is what people would say it didn't feel like you know something being put through a character's mouth and it just yeah it just made it feel so much more genuine and I think that's why it's it's such an emotionally affecting film because of how real it feels and actually touching back and I really like how you brought up that scene with um, 
Dylan and his sister and explaining the magic trick as a metaphor because that is actually another scene that jumped out at me and that was something that jumped out at me but more in like an odd kind of like gender way but it was just Mm -hmm. um you know where Dylan kind of just goes you see you know that's it there's no point you know you have no control everything everyone's you know go go through all the same things so what's the point you know he's kind of just given up in a way and then the sister the sister kind of goes well what if I chose a color then I win and I like how she you know it's that like almost like that optimistic like way of kind of going no this is what everyone's telling you to do but fuck it like Fuck the well, rules. You know, and that was that was Emily's idea. So again, piggybacking on her father being an addictions counselor and, um, you know, me going to the magic castle all the time, there's a very real thing of there's like three female magicians of, <laughs> of notes or of celebrity, you know, and then there's a billion others. And like, like if every I, magician yeah like every failed. magician is male kind of looks the same follow what uh, and uh vibe and the like if i were to say like there's a couple of lines that you know selfishly as a writer i'm very proud of but the line of see this is why there's no female magicians we figure shit out too quickly like i was proud as hell of that but it was emily being like okay well how do you tell the story of control through a magic trick and kind of give the power to, you know, this childlike version of Lily. And I was like, oh, that's the answer. And that's cool because that's, yeah, exactly, exactly. We're all saying the same thing. Yeah, no, I love that. And I like, yeah, and I really love that. Actually, kind of coming back to something that you were saying there, because this is one of the other questions that I had. And it was one that was really, like, definitely was like, oh, I'm going to definitely ask um, ask this one because you're filmmakers. But, like, saying, yeah, you were really proud of that one line and there was definitely just, it's a film that you have made. But I'm wondering, like, do you think, like, the academic concept of death of the author can apply to movies? And, like, I want, stemming from that, like, guess more for yourself, like, because it's something that I'm always curious about when someone is making a film. Like, like when you're making such like a deeply personal and powerful film, like, is there ever a worry that like your intent isn't going to be picked up by viewers? Like, is that something that's in the back of your head while you're making it? For sure. Um, I, I listened to a lot of Eminem, right. The rapper mm-hmm. because, uh, but specifically like his first three or four albums, because it's so personal with zero shame and the world celebrated the fact that Marshall Mathers was just like, nope, here's my story, and this is how I want to rap, and middle finger to the sky, fuck everybody who doesn't like it and doesn't celebrate it. Um, That was the beginning part of it, was, okay, let me tell this intimately personal story through the lens of all these fun different things. But then once the casting process began mm-hmm. and the table reads started and the rehearsal started, um, something that I've learned through all of the short films that I've done and then getting to be an actor on set is you can find so much magic on set when you just shut up and listen to what other people can throw into the mix. Mm-hmm. You know, so we we would film most takes fairly close to the page and emily help me out here but i think we we almost always did one or two takes at the end where it was like all right you guys know the beats we know what we're doing let's just play like Mm -hmm. let's see what let's see what happens let's see what comes about um 
and more often than not, those are the takes that ended up getting used in the film because even if they're staying fairly close to the dialogue, there's like a freeing energy from, oh, I already have the good stuff, so now I can just do the whatever stuff, and there's there's another human element to that. Also, um, I'd like to add that all of the actors as well, we all know on also a personal level, so we also know the demons that they faced in their past and kind mm. of created a therapy session around a lot of the scenes as well um a way as Brittany escalante who plays brianna she said um for the scene of you guys outside when you're high and she's saying why don't you just, yeah, yeah, yeah i hope you're ODing right now do us all a favor she said even though the, those aren't the words that she would say to some of the people that she's dealing with therapy wise but she said it was a way to feel that she was able to right her own wrongs. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of catharsis that people feel towards the film when they watch it is also the catharsis, the, 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 don't mind me, the catharsis <laughs> of what they experienced when filming. So a mm -hmm. lot of, even the kids crying for the eulogy. Yeah, Owen Atlas, Mia Castillo, and Evie White. Yeah. Was a therapy session for them. So everything was kind of, it didn't, Shane directed it in a way to where people had to have emotions in order to deliver the lines. Like, don't just read what's on the page. Don't just phone mm, this. Yeah. Let's talk about real things that you wish you could solve or fix or things in your past that you want to deal with. And let's do that right yeah, now. Yeah, that's, that's a great point i've i forgot about that i i forgot how good no, I no, am. no 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 it's not it's not i forgot how good i am i did i did a short film called papa bear where um i i do a lot of short films every summer with children and i usually mm. have a cast of six to eight to ten kids so i've gotten to learn how to work with children at a very high level and effective level because mm. we only have so much time and usually only one day to film all this stuff and in this short film, I had to figure out, okay, well, how do I get eight kids to cry and film it within 90 minutes? Because that's mm. all the time we have. And the recipe that I created that I used for Breathing Happy was, uh, I called it Ready, Set, Go. So the kids are in wardrobe and they have their object, right? And I taught them transference and substitution mm. where they're holding the object in the movie, but they're really thinking of their own personal object that grandma or grandpa or their parents or something gave them mm -hmm. and ready is the crew is getting everything set up now set means literally you are on set and for example like when owen was in front of the camera i have mia on this side of the camera and evie on this side of the camera and i nice. say none of this exists none of this matters you owen are talking to these two children and I would do like a 10 minute take, just let the camera roll 10 minute take. Mm -hmm. And then great. We got it now rotate. So now Mia is on camera and with children, I think, you know, actually no, if, if I was an actor and they let me do that on set, it helps them to like, forget that they're filming a movie, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and like what Emily was saying uh, when, when we were done that day in multiple days, it was, we kept getting texts or emails from people after like the cathartic things that were basically like, fuck you, Emily, fuck you, Shane. I hate you for making me cry. Why did you do this? Dot, dot, dot. But also thank you. That really helped. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I love that. And I actually um, love how you even brought that in about how you like work with children and stuff like that. Cause that was like one of the, you know, one of the kind of questions that I was like, Oh, maybe I'll bring that in was again, like trying to work with younger people and children on set. Cause obviously they, you know, it must be, I guess more difficult than it is with like, you know, trained adult actors, but I don't know. Like maybe it's not, maybe it's less difficult because they're not as in their head as much. I don't know. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Um, I'm sure you will know just as well uh, as anybody, but people fear what they do not know. And once they learn about it, it's no longer fearful. The amount of conversations I've had with uh, my producer friends where I'll say like, like we're working on movie number two and there's going to be kids in movies number two. And the second you say like, Oh, I'm going to have people that are under the age of 18. They go, eh, no, don't do it. That's not smart. It's going to, but since I have gotten to work with children for like 13 years now, um, it brings out the, the childlike Peter Pan, Dr. Seuss wonder in me. And I, I am always in the best mood when I get to like work on set, but especially with kids because you remember like we're not curing cancer guys we're making art and Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be perfect and sometimes it's really endearing and sweet to see a kid mess up like the the vast majority of kid actors that i work with are awesome they're just awesome and there's very little fear and they're willing to play and they're willing to experiment and they're willing to go crazy as were a lot of adult actors, and this is a gross oversimplification, mm. but a lot of adult actors will have a very specific way that they would like to do it because they have a process and asking them to just explore and play and create is difficult for them mm-hmm. because, well, they have their process. You know, they're, they prefer eating uh, at the fine dining restaurant with their suit and tie and coattails and fancy dress and I'm asking them to eat barbecue at a at a playground, mm-hmm. and it's difficult for them to make that transition on a dime, you know. No, I love that, and I lo- I really enjoy how you talk about like how you know working with the kids. It's all about like you know embracing play, and like that's what it is, and like how almost like you want to bring that into the adult actors as well, because I think like you know going outside of acting, but I think that's just a general thing with society and adults in yeah. that a lot of people forget the importance of play of creativity of just doing things for the sake of doing something because it's just going to make you like laugh or it's just going to bring you joy like we get so bogged down with the rat race of everything of life that you forget to kind of nurture that inner child that just wants to play and like Mm -hmm. you know that's why I really love how that's something that's important to your process of working like I'm just like you know warm fuzzy feelings on that that's really lovely and i wish more people took that approach to just life but that's really nice i like that and actually kind of like unrelated to completely unrelated to working with kids but i like how you talked about like you mentioned how almost the importance of kind of like making the person forget that they're in a film as in like kind yeah. of forget that the camera exists and like that's like you know myself as a person like I dabble in I guess like online sex work and stuff like that and one of the things is like make love not porn is a platform that was created by Cindy Gallup and I recommend every single person look up this company because they are fantastic but the main thing is about 
it's you're not performing for a camera it's just there's no mm-hmm. camera there it's literally just capturing what's real and I just like I had that connection in my head of like forget there's a camera there and just exist and it makes something leap out more and I, I like that um but yeah that was a random random tangent <laughs> very random and you do it for yourself and not for the camera and then exactly all will stem <laughs> exactly. from there <laughs> We did mention at the outset that it may get kinky. I made it happen. So there we go. But yeah, yeah, yeah. There <laughs> she is. Yeah, she is. <laughs> Brilliant. No, perfect. Um, but kind of coming back to the film and like the process itself. But I was wondering, like for both of you, for individuals, um, like what was the first like horror film or that you remember watching and then slightly adjacent because sometimes the answers are different what was the film that made you a fan of the genre that kind of made you go oh this is my stuff but then particularly maybe for yourself Shane as like a filmmaker like was there any particular film that made you go oh I want to make movies you you go first because I have the perfect answer but I have to get the book (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So he has the perfect answer. So way to set me up for failure. Um, <laughs> I So here's the funny thing. So I always watched horrors as a kid. I watched everything. I watched Silence of the Lambs. I mean, I was like five. Silent, like I loved all of those weird things. And I always thought it was so cool. And I would remember plugging my ears because pop scares always scared me. But when it came to like blood and guts of Saw, like I loved it. And so I don't know what the first film was I that I was introduced to horror with, but I do know, like, there's something about twists and mm-hmm. that has always really gotten me and I have always really enjoyed it. So just because it's the first thing that came to mind, but like the ending of the first Saw, mm-hmm. when that happened, oh. I was like, oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> and like you know just stuff like that like I've always it's kind of the surprise of horror that Mm. got me more engaged than anything um and then okay so so talking twists perfect uh I have a friend named Caillou Pettis Mm. and this is a book called the inspiring world of horror the movies that influenced generations uh you can get it all across the planet uh on amazon and uh this is a really cool book because caillou emailed basically every friend that he knew uh that works in horror film Mm. insert capacity here right writer director casting director actor um and the question asked was what was the first horror movie or your favorite horror movie that really got you into the genre. Um, And I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, but when we're talking about like feeling something, Mm -hmm. um, I I write uh, like a three page thing here talking about how when I saw the sixth sense in theaters, it was just Mm -hmm. me and my dad. Maybe my brother was with me. I'm not sure, but I, when did the sixth sense come out? I'm trying to think. I I, I must've been like, 11 or 12 mm-hmm. something like that 99 I looked up yesterday because okay good so I was 12 <laughs> okay so I was 12 years old 99 I remember vividly watching the movie and when the twist comes about that Bruce Willis has been dead the entire movie I remember wait he- what <laughs> fuck off <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing my dad audibly go <gasps> Like, like, 
I've never heard my dad gasp like that ever. And mm. I remember looking up and, you know, like when you're a kid, you know, your, your parents are giants. And I remember <laughs> looking up to my right and my dad is like still like not moving, watching this movie, but I can see that he's like bawling his eyes out. Like, mm. like he's not breathing, not like, but like the tears are there. And there was like that unwritten thing of, don't let your son see you're crying. Just keep mm. looking forward during the credits. That's when we'll figure this out. And I remember being like, holy shit, a movie got my dad to cry because my dad is one of those dads that does not cry. Mm. And that feeling was, again, I know I'm bastardizing it, but like the greatest magic trick I'd ever seen. And I remember from that turn someone to mush, right? Turning <laughs> someone to mush. And like, from that moment on, I was obsessed with like, I have to find out how to get in that box. How do mm. I get in that rectangle? How do I get on that side of that to show people, you know, that, that maybe I could do that as well one day. Um, and of course I've had a million versions of that. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> ironically, the thing that, 100% got me into acting. Not a lot of people know this, but the thing that absolutely cemented, oh, I want to be in the arts. Uh, I was 17 and I saw Susical the Musical, <laughs> a high school production of Susical the Musical. And when the, another horror, another horror, <laughs> terrifying, terrifying <laughs> movie. <laughs> but when uh, Horton, here's a who, Horton is laying on the egg and the bird comes with him and they sing that song where it's like well you teach him ground and i'll teach him sky and the idea of like an elephant and a bird falling in love and making these little elephant bird eggs and stuff i was like inconsolably sobbing like the idea of two polar opposites coming together to make something new and different and beautiful like i I love that shit i love the two things coming together that should not be in creating something better and more beautiful. Like, I love that. I love that so much. Um, so yeah, again, chasing clouds, you got to reel me back in. <laughs> but, that, but that's also like another thing about horror, I think is why people get so drawn to it is it turns you into a different person and it makes you, mm. it almost uh, like you, like how we said that his dad made that like, <gasps> And it's like, I've never heard that sound come from that person before. I think everybody has that. Like, you don't know what you're going to (laughs) say or do or gasp or what's going to happen. It kind of takes every bit of control away from your emotions. And you just are. And it's kind of fun to think of it like horror that way. Because, yeah, you can be with somebody who's so strict and isn't any fun. And all of a sudden they're screaming and oh, like making these weird ass noises at a theater. And you're like, wow, that came from you, huh? That's <laughs> kind of wild. So I think it's like a fun take on horror turns an audience into a different version of themselves. And I think we've all had that moment too, where you're leaving a theater and you're like, oh, like I feel badass. Like I could take on the world right now or <laughs> different or like oh shit i'm gonna go home and check underneath every bed and every closet like like when the movie 300 or creed came out with michael b johnson everyone leaving that theater is like oh i gotta go to the gym right now like i gotta (laughs) i gotta fix this (laughs) 
me, I watch Fresh and I'm like, wow, when is someone <laughs> like there was a dick to bite off today? Today's yeah. the day. Yeah. That didn't happen. <laughs> sad face <laughs> but no um i love that and i think actually that's kind of like the the main motivation for me launching this series is to try and unpack that question get to the bottom of like you know why like you know why are horror fans like we are like why do we turn to this genre like why do we always come back you know wanting to like and i think it like again as you said beating a dead horse but you know it's a dead horse that's just there to be beaten but it's like you know <laughs> we want to feel stuff and horror is the one genre that will elicit that the most and again it's an expansive genre it can look any particular way and when you know I think it is the one genre that will make you feel things more than any other like that's kind of my understanding of it but just like funny little anecdote talking about the way like films can kind of just like you know rewire you or trick you or something like that like my own personal version of that is I can't like in my bedroom like I can't sleep if my wardrobe is open and the reason for that is because when I was 12 yeah I was 12 went to the cinema with my dad and like you know we're cinema buddies so we go to the movies all the time together and we were going to see Alien versus Predator but my dad got the dates mixed up and it was like oh this movie has your one from Buffy in it. It should be fine. It was the American remake of The Grudge. And I became petrified. I spent the entirety of that film cowering on the ground between like the seats, like just like in a ball. And my dad just kept going, you do know we can leave. And I don't know why, (laughs) but I would just go, but you spent money, we can't. (laughs) And then then the movie ends and you turn to your dad and he goes, more. Thankfully I loved <laughs> I loved doing that sound to my friends at sleepovers. Like I was like the more I think about it, I was a fucked up kid slash teen. Like, so here's another thing about me. So I as much as I love horror, I fucking refuse to go to a Halloween horror nights or a fake haunted house. Which this makes you so mean. <laughs> because those are my favorite so things ever. Because here's the thing. I I like being scared, but Shane has now seen it in real life where we went to a speakeasy and it was a friend's birthday and it was a speakeasy horror thing and the back of a costume shop. And I didn't know in order to get to the bar, you have to first go through costumes where people jump out at you. Mm. And I don't like pop So you're talking about wardrobe. Real- Imagine going through a very, very long like maze hallway. Mm just filled with clothes and and with those fake uh models you know where yeah, people like, are wearing clothes but some of those people are real and uh, ooh. Yeah. So i don't like pop scares in real life because i think in a past life something you happened. were a mannequin i was a mannequin <laughs> i still am emotionally and just the stiff <laughs> vapid emotionless so it's just, I don't know where I was going with this. No, you were talking about how even though you like horror, you oh, hate. Oh, okay, I hate yeah. that. But like, as a kid, like, I want to be the one that scares. I don't want to be the one that's being scared. Like, when it comes to fight or uh, fight or flight, I am fight. And Shane has seen it firsthand <laughs> of me just turning into a completely different person. And that's just what horror does. That like, 
Do you want, do you want a funny, you, uh, uh, here's a funny story. When we were doing, uh, when I was doing sound design with, so Matthew Reisinger, who does the sound design in the film, mm. like I do not deserve him as a friend, business associate, whatever. He's amazing, insane. And then Chris Dudley of the band Under Oath, he did the score for the film. Uh, there was many days where me, Chris and Matt would sit down at 5 p.m. and not leave until 4 a.m., right? We're just like plugging away on the movie. And uh, we had just gotten our house here in Austin, Texas, and I flew to Florida for like two weeks to do sound design. Mm -hmm. And there was like a creepo taking photos out front when we were getting our closet redone. Yes. And Mm -hmm. and so Emily calls me saying some random person like pulled up in their car and is taking photos. And one of the closet people said, can I help you? And they like ran off. Right. Yeah, they like ran <laughs> off in their car and we're trying to get the license plate number and we had just moved here and it was really creepy, right? Mm-hmm. So um that night, you know, Emily's home alone with our dog. We had just no, one dog at the time. Did I have the dog? You had Ralphie. Okay. You had Ralphie. I did have the dog. Um so we have a handful of like these wise uh home video cameras inside of our house. So I said, Okay, point them all towards the areas of escape and the living room and stuff. Um and I'll call you around 2 a.m. Florida time, 1 a.m. your time, you know, because I have no reception when I'm in the sound booth. So we finish. It's around 2.30 in the morning. And I try to call Emily on her regular phone and she's not answering. I try to call her on her work phone. She's not answering. I start checking each camera in the home and she's not in front of any of the cameras, but there's one camera in our guest room, which is knocked over pointing at the ground. So... I'm calling her again, not answering, calling her work phone again, not answering. So I use the app on the home video camera that's in our living room and talking through that camera, I go, Emily, if you're home, you need to tell me right now, because if you're not, I'm calling the cops in 15 seconds to do a wellness check because I, you're supposed to be waiting for my phone call and I can't hear you. And now I'm freaking out. Right. And I'm driving home and I can't get a hold of her. And, you know, I had pulled over on the road at that time mm-hmm. and I'm looking through the camera and uh, through the camera. Then I see Emily run into the living room naked with a samurai sword. So that's his perspective. So now imagine, I am mortified because somebody has been like stalking my house all day, taking pictures. And when we go to find out who it is, they speed off. So I'm like already like, oh my God, okay. Did we move into like the creepiest neighborhood of like psychopaths? Like what's going on? I'm home alone. What's the deal? And I'm in the shower and I hear a man yelling in the living room. So I was like, I have no choice. I refuse to fucking die in the shower. And I have a samurai sword and I grabbed it and I just was like, Okay, well, get big, get loud, get scary. I'm going to fucking chase this person out of the house. I don't know. So that's what happened. So Shane got to witness me running naked through the living room with the samurai sword. Being like, ah! But a part of me wishes that there was an intruder and that they got hacked up. Because imagine the news report of like, what a weird naked woman in Texas kills intruder with samurai sword. They're like, wait. They didn't. She didn't shoot him with a gun. It's like yeah, no. Right? This bitch came no, naked to the samurai. Here's some Kill Bill Volume Four. <laughs> so oh, that... unrelated to all of the topics, but 
that yeah. is a delightfully brilliant story but <laughs> in a way to almost tie it back to the film just because <laughs> no because this was one of the things I wrote down when I was like looking up the cast of the film because I was like I re- recognize that voice and I just had a moment of going oh! but um to talk about because you were talking about calling the police the episode with the pho- like the police phone operator and I looked it up and it's Jim O'Hare who's Jerry mm-hmm. from Parks and Rec I yep. heard that voice and I was just like oh my god this makes this scene just have so much <laughs> it was just it just put like felt like 10 more levels of humorous because I was just picturing that character but that scene like was I'm just like, how do you like when it comes to those like like, and we'll close it up soon because we're just over it. We're coming over an hour now. For but sure, like, for sure. As like um a writer and like making films, like when it comes, like how do you like where's the line between this is going to work as a really humorous set piece or this could just be seen as too over the top silly, like and. <laughs> No, and sure. th- th- this is a someone who likes over the topness, but I know sometimes mm-hmm. when you want a, a wider reception, you kind of have to figure out how to tone it back. But I wonder, like, where's that line when you're making a film, or is it fuck lines, just do it? <laughs> sure, fuck lines, kind, kind of fuck lines, just yeah. do it. Um, so <laughs> don't there's do lines, just yeah, don't do lines, just fuck lines. Um, <laughs> that scene, okay, there's three scenes in the movie that were the most difficult for me, and mm. that was one of them. Um, because it kept not being funny. Right. So let me, this is an example of, um, me being thankful that I have such talented friends. So that scene starts off with my friend Landon Ashworth, who I think is the funniest guy on the planet. And he's been a buddy of mine in Hollywood for well over a decade. I called him and what is scripted is I asked him because he writes musicals. I said, can you just record yourself doing a little jingle of you're on hold with 911 hopefully you're not getting stabbed by someone you're on hold cut i literally just need 6 seconds and he goes okay sure let me write something and i'll get back to you and he gets back to me an hour later with 30 minutes of the funniest shit you've ever heard and that was landon's idea to go due to a fair amount of rape, incest, murder, and pedophile <laughs> feeling, like all of that stuff. And then it's like the, hello, 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 hello. Like he just did that on a Tuesday afternoon. And I'm like, this is the funniest shit ever, right? So I edited it together and got it to come in. And I added the joke of, hello? Nah, I gotcha. You know, like that little thing. And so then we get to the Jim O'Hare stuff. And then uh, our mutual friend, Jeremy Harlan, who was in an improv troupe with Emily. Um... I I knew that I wanted to have these two 911 operators be like oh, we are we are on a phone call excuse you sir because again talking about earlier like what if Dylan called 911 for help and they were zero help that was like <laughs> the ideation of the scene so they got you know on Zoom and I'm just I'm just friends with Jim O'Hare we do charity work together that's how we met and got together um, so he was just one of those celebrity friends I could call and be like, please do my movie. You just have to get on your phone for 10 <laughs> minutes. Right. So we record it. We do it. It's not funny. It's not working. My next door neighbor who, uh, was an alcoholic for decades and now has been sober for a decade. Uh, she was a wonderful source because she would watch cuts of my movie and mm. say, well, this is what I'm responding to. This is not what I'm responding to. So she watched a cut of the movie and she goes, you know what? I wish you had in your movie and I was like what she goes you just need a moment where they go 
you need to shut the fuck up and figure out your shit. Shut the fuck up. You need to, because she's a sponsor for many people. And she goes, sometimes mm-hmm. you just need to be like, get your fucking shit together. So I called Jim again and Jeremy and said, can we redo it? And so every actor has, you know, like a fun version of an ego. And he's like, was it wrong? Was it not funny? What's working? Go, no, we need to do it again. But you need to talk about how much of a piece of shit I am and how much of a pussy I am and how I need to. And he's like, oh, anytime you want me to tell you that you're worse than who you are and you're a pathetic piece of shit, I will happily do that. So then that's where you get Jim being like, oh, what's your name again? Oh, oh, that's right. Dylan. I remember because I thought, oh, what a pussy. Yeah, that, that, like the pussiest name ever. OK, so uh, what do you want to talk about? for me oh oh i'm so sad and like then the scene began to sing Mm -hmm. and now it's funny and now it works like they needed to lean in to the like fuck you dylan figure out your shit version of the scene which i was trying to stay away from because i was nervous that it was Mm. getting too far and so that kind of lets you into the uh to the process of making a movie where sometimes you're like okay the idea was in my brain. Now I have to get it into final draft, into script form. Now I have to ask my actors to do it. Now I have to put it to the thing and edit it. Why is it still not working? And that's where you have to drop your ego and yeah. be like, I'm not a genius. If it's not working, there whoa, has whoa, to be whoa. something not else. Whoa, 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 not so fast. Jane <laughs> Brady, I just want to make sure everyone knows, is not a genius. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> ego, yes. Genius, no. Yeah. <laughs> No, not at all. <laughs> the the two of you are adorable. I'm just loving this. Thank you. Um, no, this is brilliant. And I just love watching the two of you interact. It's really great. Um, but no, that's just so much fun. And actually, just I think like uh, as a viewer, I think it really worked, as you said, having that scene of like someone going, you need to get your shit together. I think it really worked having it maybe not be the direct family members and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. like, like in a way it made it made the family members roles jump out more as well because like everyone was sympathetic in their own way like I feel like I'm thinking like if I had been one of the family members turned and had that then you'd automatically be straight in Dylan's corner or something like that and it would make the scene not be as impactful so yeah no oh everything works I love the film I've been singing its praises to everyone since I saw it at Soho like just literally telling everyone and also like telling everyone about like for those who don't know there is a beautiful dog in the film and Mm -hmm. there's an end credits scene and I've been telling everyone about just (laughs) the emotional impact of that scene where everyone in the theater is just like in tears crying and then you just gonna like manage to say oh it's not that like there's more and then like the you know helpline comes on screen and then it was like no that's not it and then that Mm -hmm. happens and like it was just every time I've told that story everyone was just like oh I'm so glad I wasn't there but in a a way of like being able to feel that but also that's another thing with rewatching it both the first time and rewatching it today is like I've got like you know an elderly dog now like you know so I'm seeing those bits too and there's extra Mm -hmm. moments of like I can I can feel this this is like an extra level of and I yeah I just love again how much you allowed yourself to kind of come through the film it was a very personal and intimate story and I just really like how you can feel it as a viewer so it's a film that's just very heartfelt and yeah I 
big fan of the film and I know I'm just like <laughs> singing your praises right now. No, no, yes. thank you. It 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 means a lot. And um here here's the thing. It, the the dog aspect of the movie was actually one of the most important things going into it just because when we talk about how when people are in the clutches and throes of addiction mm-hmm. that like nothing seemingly nothing can pull them out of it there's this recurring theme that i have observed where i'm not going to name names but even just on the top of my head i can think of six people who had animals that they loved more than life itself and the drugs mattered just a little bit more or the bottle mattered just a little bit more Mm -hmm. and there's actually um have you heard of the podcast smartless with um no. Jason Bateman and Don't think so. and um Will Arnett. Will Arnett. Okay, oh, wow. that's it. That's okay. a list. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So there's there's an episode that you must listen to. Must. This isn't one of those like, oh, you should really throw this on your list. Okay, so the podcast is called Smartless. Will Arnett, Sean Hayes, um we just Jason said Bateman. it. Jason Bateman. Uh there's an episode with Bradley Cooper. And Bradley Cooper, who is dear friends with Will Arnett, which I did not know as we're listening to this podcast, um, they're not even five minutes into the podcast and they all start sobbing because Bradley Cooper starts thanking Will Arnett and Jason Bateman for helping him find sobriety because he was such a bad alcoholic that they say that there was a day that Will Arnett came over the day after they all had a dinner and Bradley Cooper was like, man, wasn't that such a fun dinner? We all had a blast. And Will was uh, going, actually, you were a giant asshole. And everybody left that dinner upset. And you thought that it was a fun dinner. And by the way, have you taken your fucking dogs out today? And Bradley Cooper was like, oh, I don't, what time is it? He's like, it's 4 p.m. You haven't even taken your dogs out. And so it's this thing of, to me, Shane... For somebody to not take care of your dog, like, mm-hmm. I take that personal. You know what I mean? And uh, sadly, it was it was an aspect of the movie where I'm like, I gotta throw it in there. I have to throw it in there because I've seen it happen far too often where it is possible to love an animal with all of your heart, but the the the, the little devil on this shoulder keeps winning, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So like the effort is there, the want is there, but the execution is not. And this animal suffers for it, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think that's just what makes the rawness of that scene again jump out. And again, because of the, like, as you said, touching back and, you know, uh, you know, replaying what we've kind of said, but it's, as you said, you had all perspectives in this film. And I just, it just makes... That's I think that's why it's a film that moved an entire theater of horror fans to tears because it is so real and raw. And this is also why I think it's a film that belonged at a super inclusive and queer horror film festival because of the fact that, again, horror doesn't have to look a certain way to be horror. Like, you know, everything that Dylan is going through is horrifying in its own way. 
being the family members of that character is a horrifying place to like every, you know there's they're all different elements of like levels of fear and horror and human emotion and the film just captures it perfectly but then you're also laughing and you don't know whether you should laugh or cry <laughs> and yeah I just again I'm just like saying big big thank you for it like releasing this film to the world and like before I let you go I'm very excited that it is getting its distribution in North America and hopefully it won't be that long before we get the international distribution yes and I'll be singing its praises and (laughs) directing everyone to it because honestly it's on like you know I'm not really one who likes to do kind of like you know rankings of like oh best films I've seen this year because like again I agree just make ours number one and then you don't even have to have a list <laughs> exactly right? yeah, exactly you just, you just tell people one movie there's and it's that easy. ego yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a standout for me it's one of the, like it just even the fact that like it's been what a month yeah it's actually almost almost a month now since soho a month exactly actually today and um or no i think it was at the 17th but anyway it's close to a month yeah i rewatched it today but everything was still fresh in my head because it's just been a film that i've just been reliving and replaying because it's just it stuck with me it really stuck with me but yeah and um, <laughs> i want to just again thank you so much for coming on and just chatting with me both about your film and just about horror and life in general before I let both of you go where can people support the film and just support your own individual work and just worship you (laughs) (laughs) come to worship us you go go first Emily you get Um, worshipped first I rightfully so um so I guess our our social media so mine is at zerchinator z-e-r-c-h i-n-a-t-o-r and this is just a quick i just realized the other a few weeks ago that the beginning of me being called zirchinator actually stemmed from this is are you good for a five minute story oh yeah go ahead okay so um and i'm saying this only because of the specific podcast and from zoho so I was the leader of the Powder Puff cheer team in high school. So that meant the boys were supposed to be, they were supposed to do the whole gender swap so wild and crazy, right? Uh, The girls play football and the boys are supposed to cheer. Well, I decided, um, I so I grew up, my father was gay. And so I decided I only wanted queer men on my cheer team (laughs) because fuck the football players. Go fuck (laughs) yourselves. And I we did everything. We did like Spice Girls. Like we did the whole choreography. It was like fishnets, whatever they wanted, glitter. It wasn't your typical powder puff situation. And at a football game, I had my 10 um queer cheerleaders and the football players stormed the field and started trying to do their own chants and i became the most vicious cunt in the world <laughs> and like guttural like get the fuck off my field came out of me and a teacher that was sponsoring the whole thing at the time was like whoa zerchinator and so that's where the name stuck was my guttural <laughs> go fuck yourself football players it's me and my cheer squad <laughs> and it was uh to make it a happy ending 
all of those guys ended up coming around like a year later and apologized for how they treated all of the gays and anybody coming out in high school. And they all kind of like wrapped a hand, like wrapped an arm around them and celebrated them by the end of our senior year. So, you know, sometimes you just need to have a raging cunt just scream, get the fuck off my field. (laughs) (laughs) And then things turn around. So, to reiterate, my Instagram handle <laughs> is Zerchinator Terminator, but Zercher, my last name, so Zerchinator. Yeah. And then we have Breathing Happy Film Instagram. Uh, and Shane, you have your website that now has all the fanciful links. Yeah. So if you go to ShaneBradyActor.com, there is now an entire page dedicated to Breathing Happy with very easy hyperlinks that will direct you to fandor uh and then if you choose the video on demand route you can go on amazon prime or voodoo but uh yeah the last thing i want to say is for all of the dorks nerds rejects queers friends family tall straight skinny black white purple just this this movie is for you because it was made by people like you um even though i am a straight cisgendered white caucasian male you know um everything about my being is you know like i said i work with children and i work with a lot of children who are in the before during or after stages of discovering what amazing things they are going to do in this world and Mm -hmm. i only want to live in a world where they are supported, celebrated, thrown on the shoulders of their peers and congratulated. Mm -hmm. And that is why the casting director of our film is one of my gay best friends, Jake Warnecke. And that's why our film has so many different races and identifications and creeds uh, from the cast and crew. And we look forward to going even further for movie number two, three, four, five, etc etc so keep expecting the funny interesting casting choices that are gonna (laughs) celebrate the cool unique things that make this planet as awesome as it is wow that is a brilliant (laughs) closing out message no thank you oh that just so inspiring (laughs) and i'm just like (laughs) that that needs to be like you know on plaques and t-shirts and shit because that <laughs> that yeah and again See, I'm Emily, your ego <laughs> plaques and egos yes exactly yes. so so in summation shane is a genius the things he says should, should be on t-shirt. plaques no not t-shirt plaques plaques immortalized in stone you know so, uh, i'm gonna walk away now before i ruin the good things i just said you oh. just undid it all <laughs> not at all, all. Yeah, again <laughs> thank you thank you so much this has been such a pleasure and it's been an absolute joy and like again thank you for the film and i can't wait to see where the rest of the film goes and where like rest of your film making journey goes because that i'm just i want more like i'm just like more please i'm excited for the rest what else is to come from both of you but yeah thank you thank you so much and to my listeners Keep your eyes and ears peeled for future episodes in my Why Horror series. 